Well, today I want to continue speaking about the Holy Spirit and talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And um, we're going to continue this vein of, of speaking. But let me ask you a question. Do you remember why we're taking the time to discuss and better understand the fruit of the Spirit? Do you know why we're doing this, where we're hopefully cultivating our soil and propagating the growth of the fruit in our lives on a daily basis? Well, in case you've forgotten, or maybe, because, maybe you haven't been here to uh, know why, but God's Word, which is what we trust in, which is what we believe, which is what we preach, God's Word is very explicit on why the character of a man must be reflective of God's character if we're going to be effective in building God's kingdom. We must reflect God. If we don't reflect God, then we're going to be counterproductive in building the kingdom. If we reflect anything other than Jesus, then we're going to be confusing to the world and we're going to be a negative aspect of the kingdom building process. Do you agree with that? So therefore, we must have the character of God. Now, we're created in God's image, but his character is a building process in us, right? Yeah. We need to build the character of God into our lives, and we do that through the fruit of the Spirit is the primary way that God's character is built in us. And if we're going to be effectively, effectively growing the kingdom of God, then we must. There is not an option. This is not just a suggestion. This is a mandate of God that we must be godly, and we must have God's character in us, and it must be who we are, not who we pretend to be. So it's very important that we understand the fruit of the Spirit because that is the fun, that are the building blocks. Those nine fruit are the building blocks of God's character because that's exactly who God is. So if we're going to be a good representation of God in the, in the world, then we must understand. We must know and understand what the fruit is so we know what our, how our lives should be built. Amen? You can't be held accountable to what you don't know. So if you don't know this, then you can't be accountable. And that's one of the reasons why the devil really hates Sunday mornings. He really hates Bible time. Because when we are accountable, when we know, when we're instructed with God's word, and then we operate it in it, we're very powerful. But when we're kept ignorant, because we don't maybe read the Bible enough, or we don't do something, or we don't attend certain Bible study opportunities, then the devil has more authority in your life because you don't know what God's Word says. So this is important. Paul gives Titus a very firm instruction on what it means to be an elder in the kingdom of God. A person given charge of building people up in the faith. That's basically what an elder is. And by the way, you're all kind of elders, right? Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9 says this. Paul says, The reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I had directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. 
Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, you may say, well, Mike, I'm not an elder. I'm just a church member. Or I'm just a church attender. So this doesn't apply to me. Because he's talking to you, Mike. Or he's talking to the elders of the church. Well, I would encourage you to reconsider that thought. As there's a day coming when God judges his people. And on that day, you would do well to have lived by the same command and instruction as God may very well look at you as an elder. And maybe you don't think yourself as an elder, but maybe God does. And if God's going to consider you an elder, wouldn't it be wise to operate and live as an elder lives? Remember, we've been given much. Remember the scripture in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read this passage, Luke chapter 12, verse 42 through 48. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I don't want to be accused of taking quippets out of scripture to manage my points. <laughs> so I'm going to read the whole thing. This is Jesus speaking. The Lord, Jesus, answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them food, their, gives their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and, and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with, a few, with few blows. Here's the key. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, I'm just going to put all of us in the category of much. <laughs> There's no one here in American culture, really, that can claim ignorance here. We have been given much. Therefore, much will be required of us. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Then we need to start living like that or, or continue living like that because I know many of you already are living like that. So this is just an encouragement for us. The reason we're spending so much time discussing and understanding the various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is that that is a perfect model of a Christian's life. And we can't be held accountable to it if we're not taught about it. So that's why we're teaching about it. That's why we're spending so much time here. But the, but the, fruit, of the, the, um, the fruit of the Spirit is represented in the life of a maturing Christian, a person that is continuing to strive to grow in the love of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I can assume you're like me, and that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person that is living in the life of Christ and striving more and more daily. So it's important that we continue to focus in on the fruit of the Spirit. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is given in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, and also on our banners. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We've spoken in the past weeks on love, joy, peace, and patience. And today we're going to talk about kindness and goodness. So let's talk about kindness. What is kindness? The Greek word for kindness that's interpreted is charistos. Charistos. And it's interpreted, or it means to be of a kind, good, gentle disposition. Now, this is the type of person that, by worldly standards, would, would be refined, a cultured character uh, with well-conduct, a well-rounded man. And, and by many standards, this is the type of person that would be considered a person that has it all together. He's just a really nice guy. Kindness begins in the heart. As a result of the first sin of Adam and Eve, mankind has the fallen disposition in their heart. Our hearts are naturally evil. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every, inclina every in inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? So for all the people out there that say, well, mankind is generally good, that's not what the scripture says. You know, I was a bus driver this year for the, for the school system, and I can tell you, the nature of humanity at the very, er, very earliest stages in life is not kind. <laughs> you get a busload of 70 kids that are from kindergartners to high school age, and most of them younger, I got to tell you, you saw and hear a lot of unkind things. And these are not necessarily taught to them by unkind parents. These are just who they are. <laughs> the basic nature of a person is not good. Am I popping anybody's bubbles out here today? Am I saying things that aren't true? But these kids lie, they cheat, they steal. They will look you right in the face and lie to you. I mean, just bold-faced lie to you. I saw him do it. I saw him do it. And they just will lie. Scott, you're in the business of good, and guy, good guys, bad guys. Do you ever, does anybody ever lie to you, Scott? Daily. Daily. Yeah. <laughs> and they will steal. And, and then you go to work. <laughs> Whoa. Man. I am so glad I didn't say that. Because I am the guy that would say that. If you, could have, if, you, if you could have seen Dawn's look right there, if you could have seen her look to Scott like daggers, boom! <laughs> there, there's hope for you, Dawn. Not sure about Scott, there's hope for you. But the book of Ezekiel, however, describes the kind of heart transplant that God gives us. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, this heart of flesh is not the human heart of flesh. This is a heart of, that's intended to be a pliable heart, a teachable heart, a heart that is soft towards the things of God. Versus 
the hardened heart here that is rebellious and uh, against God and anything of goodness of God. The Lord gives us a soft heart. That's the kind of heart he wants us to have. That's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit lives in, in that soft heart, that pliable heart, that teachable heart. Now, there are some people that are kind. They are kinder. There are some people that are kinder than other people. But we're not measuring kindness here by comparing one man against another. That would be a humanistic or a, a fleshly way or a humanistic way of defining kindness. But we're defining kindness here as a, a kindness that compares ourselves to the kindness of God. And no one can compare to that on their own. I can be kinder than the next guy, but I cannot be as kind or kinder than God. And even a person that has Christ in their heart can be unkind. Do you know that? Paul talks to us in the, in the book of Ephesians. This is written to Christians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He's talking to those that they've already been forgiven. Christ already forgave you, therefore you're a Christian. And Paul is still instructing them, get rid of your bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and be kind. And be kind. So even Christians can be unkind. I think we have a lot to work from here, don't we? So where does kindness come from? This verse gives us some clues. Kindness comes with, with forgiveness. Kindness comes with forgiveness. As we forgive people, we're more able to be kind to them. It's hard to be kind to a person that you have a grudge against. It's kind to be hard. It's hard to be kind. It's kind of hard to be kind. It is hard to be kind to a person that, you have, that you're angry with, that you have problems with. There's that, that anger and that sore feeling that you have will work against every attempt of kindness in our relationship with that person. So therefore, forgiveness is a key to being kind. Christ forgave us, and we are to forgive people. He's our model to follow, and with that, we're to show kindness to them because Christ forgave us, he shows kindness to us. We forgive people, we show kindness to people. Here's the amazing thing about it. Like every fruit, there's a choice required here. It's my choice to forgive I don't have to forgive. I can hold a grudge. But with that, I'm going to have the consequences of my unforgiveness. First of all, Christ can't forgive me if I don't forgive them. And then secondly, I can't have the fruit of kindness in my life because I can't be kind to somebody I haven't forgiven. So therefore, it's your choice. We're to put on kindness, according to Colossians, like a garment. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. There's that forgive word again. If any of you has a grievous against someone else, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We are to choose to forgive. We are to choose to put on the, the garment of kindness through our forgiveness. I don't think it's possible, do you, to be kind without forgiving people? Can you think of an occasion in your life where you were kind to someone that you were angry with, clearly? It's hard, isn't it? Kindness also produces results. 
Kindness produces results. Kindness comes with forgiveness. Kindness produces results. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle or a kind answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A kind person has a way to get into a mean-spirited person's heart. You know, the old saying is true. If you want to have friends, you have to be friendly. If you want to have friends, you have to be friendly. There's a requirement of you to step out first and be the first friend. Be that kind person first. And you might walk into a dark situation. You may walk into an angry situation. But when the fruit of kindness lives in you, it's amazing how the situation can just kind of calm down. The situation might just take a whole different effect because you come in with a kind word. That's what a kind-hearted person is. A person that comes in and says, just brings a, 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 a peace or a calm in a tough situation because the spirit of kindness lives in you. Kindness also demonstrates Christ to the world. Kindness demonstrates Christ to the world. We as parents, we want our children to get along, don't we? Yeah. Well, God, our Father, wants us to get along. He doesn't like to see us squabble. He doesn't like to see factions. He doesn't like to see people that are professing to be Christians that are arguing and fighting and not getting along, does he? Do you want peace and do you want kindness in your home? Yeah. God wants it in his home. And we are his home. We are the church. The other thing is, is that the world is watching the church. The world is watching the church, and if the churches aren't getting along, if we're not getting along in, in our church, if we're not getting along with the other church of God, Christ in town, if we're not getting along with people, the world's watching that, right? Are we not being judged by the world by our actions? So if we're not kind to one another, do you think that that makes the world want to be like us? No, because they're pretty good at being unkind on their own. They certainly don't need to be like us to be unkind. So let us show them a Christ example of kindness through forgiveness. There's so much more to talk about on kindness. You know, in fact, when we get into the fruit, we start talking about this, the more I get into it, the more it just keeps unraveling. But we have to limit it here to a time frame. So we're going to talk about goodness now. Kindness, we just scratch the surface. You can just go on and on and on and and think about other reasons and other forms of kindness and other reasons why we must be kind. But goodness is another fruit of the Spirit, which is right along with kindness. The Greek word for goodness in Scripture here means to be good, kind, or godlike in our life. To be godlike, to be Christ-like. That's what we are when we're to be good. Now we're talking about goodness. So we're on goodness now. How does mankind view goodness? Let's think about this for a minute. What's the humanistic viewpoint of a good person? Well, when a man talks about something or someone being good, we are in a comparison mode of comparing one thing over another. For example, he's a good guy versus a not-so-good guy. She did a good job cleaning versus doing not such a good job cleaning. We had a good time versus not having such a good time. You see how the word good can be relative and how it can be subjective? That was a good sermon versus a not-so-good sermon, right? I mean, how it's all subjective, and good becomes a comparison of one thing to the other thing. 
And these forms of goodness are all based on our perception or our experience to judge a good thing from a not-so-good thing. We also base goodness depending on a personality trait or a like or a dislike or even relative, relative to a person's level of understanding. For example, based on a like or dislike, that was a good piece of cherry pie. What happens if I don't like cherries? Which, by the way, I don't. So to me, a, a good piece of cherry pie would never be good to me because I don't like cherry pie. But if you like cherry pie, that was good, right? See how it's relative to your likes and dislikes? Or that was a good pr book on Christian theology, which might be really good if you're a pastor studying for a sermon, but it may not be so good for a bedtime story to your three-year-old unless you really want to put yourself asleep first. What about a person that says, man, we had a great time today. We had a good time today, which may mean something totally different to another person that really didn't have a good time. They didn't like bowling. and You love to bowl. And that person, all they got was gutter balls because they're not a good bowler, but you shot a 300. So to you it was a good time. To them it wasn't such a good time. You see how time, how good can be relative? That's not the goodness that we're speaking of here when we, when we speak of the fruit of the Spirit of goodness. See, the kind of goodness the fruit of the Spirit is speaking about is not subjective. It's not subjective for one versus the other, meaning that it's not relative to the likes and dislikes of a person or to a particular situation. The non-subjective form of goodness is always good. Now, can mankind be good in himself so as to please God? Can mankind, can you be good enough, non-subjectively, can you be good enough to please God? That's a good question because there are many people in this world that believe that they are good enough to please God and good enough to make it to heaven. Just ask them. How many people, can you walk down the street, if you said, are you going to heaven? How many people say, no, I'm going to hell? And be serious about it. See, everybody thinks they're good enough. I'm good enough to get to heaven. I'm good enough. I'm a good person. I love my family. I'm a good provider. I'm a good employee. I'm a good employer. I go to church twice a year. You know, I do all the important things good. I'm good enough. But we need to understand who we really are so that we can appreciate who God really is. We need to first understand our level of what we are so we can understand God's goodness. Amen. Scripture talks to us about being good enough, and it answers the question this way. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. As it is written, this is Paul speaking to the Romans. Now he's quoting an Old Testament passage. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become totally, uh, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So if you think that you can be good enough in your own self, let me just give you a little bit of advice and ask you to listen to God's word because God's word says there is no one good enough to please God. Now, with that said, 
we need to recognize what our position is. Dr. Alex Ness, an author that we've talked about in the past, says this about, God, about man's goodness. God sees, this is Dr. Ness speaking, God sees that all the goodness of man is only skin deep. It is only a put-on on the surface. Deep within undegenerated man, there is a capability of deceit, cursing, bitterness, bloodshed, destruction, and misery because there is no fear of God. His real self will explode as a smoldering volcano. Then he is capable of spewing out destruction that amazes everyone. How often have we all said after a murder or some gross sin, but he was such a quiet, good man. Think about it. How many times have you seen that on the newscast? I didn't see that coming from him. He was a good neighbor. He was quiet. He was a good man. I cannot believe that he committed, that he just killed his wife and three kids. We've seen it. I'm not making this up. We've seen it, haven't we? That's the goodness of mankind. And until we see our inability to be good on our own, we really won't be able to appreciate God's ability to be good. And that's all he's about is goodness. So what is God's goodness? The goodness of the fruit is speaking in terms of God's goodness, and since we're created in the image of God, we can be a godly man if we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to promote and to show God's goodness. Let me ask you a question or two. Is God good? Yeah. Is he good all the time? Where do you get that answer from? Do you, do you understand? I know we say that, and it's the right thing to say, but do we understand the foundation of why we say that? Do you really know why you say God's good? Can you go back to Scripture and prove that God's good? It's important that we know our foundation so that when it doesn't appear that God's good, we don't doubt it. Because there are times in my life when it doesn't appear that God's so good to me. There's been times in my life when the business that I worked so hard for a few years ago failed. It wasn't good to me and my family and to some people that worked for us. And if I wouldn't have known the foundation of who God was, I would have said, God, you're not good. So it's important that we know why we say that. It's important that we understand the foundation of we, are, we know God's good, not just because it sounds good to say, but we really, 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 really know his character and we really understand that God really is good. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is speaking to a certain ruler and this man asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered in verse 19, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Now, it certainly wasn't that Jesus wasn't a good man. And it certainly wasn't because Jesus was a good, wasn't a good teacher, because he certainly was. But Jesus had to, make the point, he had to make the point here to that man and to us today that the only goodness comes is defined through God the Father. That it's not in our own ability to be good. Even in Jesus' own ability as a man, he didn't have the ability as a man to be good unless the goodness of the fruit of the Spirit was exercising through the life of Christ. Likewise, the same thing for us. Jesus understood firsthand that all goodness comes from God. 
And all that goodness that he experienced was as a result of the Holy Spirit working in the life of Christ. So what does Scripture say about the goodness of God? What is that foundation? God's goodness is, is above all things. Psalms chapter 31, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, the psalmist says. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. God's goodness is for those that have the fear of God in their life. Amen? God's goodness is for those that have the fear of God. God stores up good things from his goodness for those that fear him and honor him and live for him. God gives good things to his children, not those who claim to be his children but yet live like the world. No, those people that take refuge in him, those people that trust him, those people that take God at his word, God gives good things to his children. So how does goodness impact our lives? You see, once we firmly understand that God's goodness is not subjective and it is truly based on a foundation of God's word, because you can go through many scriptures and I would encourage you to go home later today as a self-studier, go home as a Berean, and go home and study the words. Study what I say. Study what every pastor says and study it for yourself and make sure that he's saying something true. Go home and do a study on goodness and find out where God, how, how firm and how true God's foundation is of his word on God's goodness so that when the dark times come and when the confusing times comes that you are clearly true and clearly sold without doubt on who God is. But how do we respond to God's goodness? How do we respond to it? Last week, Ted Branshaw was here, for those who were here, and he spoke a really, really good message. If you haven't listened to it, I really invite you to go onto the church website, centerpointassembly.com, and look under the sermons and listen to Pastor Ted's message. It was awesome. He's talking about being the good soil. The good soil. How many were here last week? Do you remember what he's talked about? Did he bring a little conviction in your heart? I hope he did, because I listened to it this week and I was on my knees. He brought conviction to my heart because he talked about being good soil and so many times we just automatically assume we're good soil because we have a last name or because we've been to church all of our life or whatever the reason is. But man, we have to examine our hearts and lives to say, are we really the good soil? He talked about Luke chapter 8. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than, more than was sown. What is the good soil? Verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Good soil is not subjective soil. Good soil is not comparing my soil to another man's soil. Good soil is measuring my soil against God's word and that I cultivate it, and I turn it, I, I, I turn it over, and I make sure there's no roots of bitterness in my soil that would take root, that would destroy me, because bitterness will destroy you. Bitterness will destroy me. Bitterness will destroy the church of God. That's why it's important that we measure our soil, that we turn it over, that we do everything possible 
So the question that I have for us this morning, what kind of soil are we? Are you exercising the fruit of kindness, of goodness? In relationship to being good, as we've defined today by the humanistic perspective, are we struggling to be good enough from that point? Or are we putting ourselves under God's microscope and letting God examine our life? Goodness in a non-subjective way. Jackie, if you'd come, we'll close and we're going to have communion in a few minutes. But can I suggest this morning that if you're trying to be the good person, if you're trying to have the appearance to, see, to be the good guy, the kind guy, without having a burning desire to please God and live a life truly worthy of God's goodness, can I suggest that you're wasting your time? Can we just cut to the chase and say, guys, you, you might as well just give up. If you're doing it on your own, if you're just going to look good on the outside, can I tell you you're going down the wrong path? See, outward appearances may seem good for a time, but they won't stand the test of time. Outward appearances may appear good for the time, but when the test of eternity comes, it'll fall away. We need to spend our time and our energy on the matters at last, and that is seeking to grow and mature the fruit of the spirit of goodness and kindness in our life. Today we're going to have communion, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And this is always a great opportunity for us to examine our life, because communion is a very serious time. It's a very good time for us to do a little fruit inspection in our hearts and lives today. Now, I would like us all to be, feel free to participate. You do not have to be a member of our church. This is not a membership ritual. This is a celebration of the life and death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And we celebrate it around this table this morning. So as we normally do, we're going to ask you to come forward. But before we do, I just want to ask you if you'd just close your eyes with me, please. And let's just do a little inspection of our lives. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit, truly, you do this. You pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your mind. You can pray in your heart. But you ask the Lord to reveal things in your life that maybe aren't so kind, that aren't so good, that maybe aren't lining up with God's word. Before we come down here and take communion, it's really important that we have a right heart, that we're forgiven of our sin, not that we're perfect because none of us are perfect but we can be forgiven. So what we do here is we say, Jesus, I recognize my evil nature. I recognize my heart is not good, but you've given me a new heart as we read about in the book of Ezekiel. You've given me a new heart. You've given me a heart of, of pliable flesh. And I pray, Lord, that you reveal to me now in the darkness of my inner circle, that little area of my heart that I've kept from you. I repent. I repent meaning I turn away from it. I reveal it. I turn away from it. I just don't make a flippant, I'm sorry, then continue on with it tomorrow. No, I repent. I turn away. I give it over to you, and I ask you to be the King and King, King of kings and Lord of lords in my life. So this morning, as your eyes are closed and as you're praying this, 
I would just ask you, if I would give you an opportunity, if you just want to show the Lord that you're serious about this, and if you just want to um, just raise your hand to the Lord and say, Father, it's me. I just need this. I need a refreshing. This isn't a quick fix. This isn't just saying a quick prayer. I'm not into the quick prayers. I'm into life and truth and honesty and integrity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your dissection. Thank you for the surgical precision of where you go into my heart and you clean out and you show me every vile thing. I turn it over to you, Father, not to be a religious man, but to be a man in good standing with you because I love you, because I want to be, I choose to receive you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Would you come down to the front and let's just take time to enjoy the presence of the Lord in his offering. chapter 5 where we find the fruit of the Spirit listed in verse 22 and 23 if you read on in verse 24 and 25 it says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified think about that you just not put it away not just hidden it crucified. What is crucified? It means you put it to death. It doesn't live again. Crucified. The sinful nature with its passions and desires. This morning, where are your passions? Where are your desires? Have you crucified them? Are you daily crucifying them? Because you might crucify it one day and it might something else might pop up the next day. It's a daily occurrence to continue to crucify that sinful nature. But then it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Again, it's another choice, isn't it? It's another choice. I can choose to lag behind. I can choose to run ahead. No, we keep in step. We keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Communion is such an important part of that process. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For, what, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this is the hard part. Listen to this very closely. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Serious. Serious. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. 
But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So this morning, the judgment that we're to do is not judging me relative to somebody else. I'm not judging me versus you. I'm judging my heart against the standard of God's word. It's truth. It's honesty. It's integrity. It's authenticity. And with that truth, you know what comes? Let's say it with me. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom comes when I judge myself according to God's word. Truth brings freedom. And with that, I can take the body of Christ. And I can take it without, with assurance that I'm celebrating the body of Christ. And because one day we're going to do this in heaven with him. And he's going to serve communion. It's going to be him standing up doing this. It's not going to be a man. It's going to be Jesus himself. Why? Because he gave himself for us. And because of that, and only because of that, we have the right to be doing what we're doing today. Worthily. So let's pray again. Because I feel more conviction. Let's pray again. This morning, if you have anything in your heart, I'm not saying perfection, but I'm saying you need to be forgiven. If you need to deal with something, deal with it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We take this very seriously. This is just not something we do as a ritual. This isn't something to do because this is one of our foundations of our faith. No, we do it because it's true, because it's real, and because it's powerful. Lord, forgive us of our sin. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the sin of omission, the sin of commission. Forgive me, Father. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Make me righteous before you so that I can celebrate this day in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you lift up the bread in your hand? Michael, would you pray? partake together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for nourishing us. Thank you for nourishing us. Amen. Let's hold up the cup, recognizing that this is the blood of Christ. By his blood, we're healed. By this blood, we have life, fresh, brand new, every day. For that, we celebrate it. Greg, would you pray over the cup, please, for us this morning? take together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction. 
and then Jackie and the guys are going to sing and still if you want to stay and sing after I pray you're welcome to but Father we just thank you we just thank you for your mercies and your grace and Lord we are so without words expressing our gratitude to you and our thanksgiving to you for your forgiveness towards us and so Lord I pray now I pray, Father, that the fruit of the Spirit would continue to grow in us, that our soil would be cultivated today, that goodness and kindness would flow out of our lives, along with love, joy, peace, and patience. And Lord, we would be the example of Christ to this world. Go with us. Let us practice it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing a song before we go. Lord, have